We are currently going through a series entitled Living This Life. As we've been going through the epistle to the Romans, chapter 1 through 11, Paul has given us doctrinal foundations that we are to live by. And chapters 12 through 16, he gives us some practical applications that we can put shoes on this and begin to walk and live this Christian life. And last week we talked about the foundation that we have to have in our relationship with God. We talked about what it meant to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and that it was our reasonable service or our spiritual form of worship. It is what is required of us in this relationship with God. And we looked a little bit at what that looks like, and it was seen most clearly in Jesus himself. Jesus said that I only say the things I hear the Father say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And we saw that his sheep hear his voice. And so it wasn't a religious regiment that we follow, but it was a living relationship that we have to key into and we have to follow, that our love and devotion to God was to be at such an extent that our most dearest relationships in comparison were to seem like hate in order that God could have his place so that love could be fulfilled within our lives. And so we saw that that relationship is a living relationship. It's a dynamic relationship. There is interaction. There's a connection with the living God. It's more than just going through the motions, but it's having that relationship. And today we're going to be talking about the church. Now, when you hear the term church, I don't know what goes through your minds, but the church doesn't have a a good press agent. Throughout the years, there's been a lot of things done in the name of the church that don't stand well, and and it's unfortunate. You know, it might be televangelists, it might be the Crusades, it might be things that have happened that people look at that and say, oh, yeah, the church, I don't go to church. And it's unfair because there's a lot of tremendous things that have been done as well. But you see, the tremendous things that are done by the people who belong to Christ, they don't have a press agent. Most people have never heard of Amy Carmichael and the work that she did in India and the the thousands of young babies that she's rescued. Most people don't know of all the great things that are done because they don't get announced. They don't blow their own horn. They don't, you know have a fanfare or a trumpet. They just do this as service to God. And so there's incredible things that have been done in the church as well. But people mostly focus on the bad things. That tends to be what kind of sticks in their minds. But we want to look at why do we have church and what needs to happen for this to take place? Most of the time, we can get into a frame of mind where we think, you know, people just get in the way. They're a hassle. They take time, take patience, take energy. If they're kids, they take your money. 
And you know, all I really need is just me and the Lord. In fact, a lot of the songs we sing, we even sang one of the lines in one of the songs earlier was, you know, you're all I need or all I need is you. And it's beautiful and it's poetic. And I understand that. But it's just not true. Remember in the beginning, in the beginning of creation, when God had created man in the garden and it was perfect, man had not fallen. He was walking with God and had fellowship with God that wasn't broken. And as he was there in the the garden, God said something. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, who would have thought that in this situation, it was not good for man to be alone? You see, some of us are wanting that situation. I don't want anyone else. I would like to just, you and me, God, that's all I need. Get rid of the headaches. Get rid of these people. All I need is you. I will sing it, and that's all I want. Walking in in harmony and enjoying those things. But God says, no, it's not good that man is alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then it says that Adam went and gave names to all the creatures, and you could tell God was giving them hints, you know, there's Mr. and Mrs. Horse, and there's, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, and, and you know, but man's not real bright, you know, he doesn't get these things really quickly, and so God has to put him to sleep and goes, I'll, I'll show you in a minute. It says that God put him to sleep, but it never says that he woke back up, you know, that's... I know that's what you ladies are thinking. And you say, where would you be without us? In the garden. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) So anyway, back to the point. There Adam is confronted with, you know, everything in creation is perfect, but it is not enough. And right there, God tells us that we were made for relationships. That it was part of his design. And it is part of our nature for community. When he created woman, he didn't just create the companion for man. He created the beginning of family. And his intention was for that interaction and that community to take place. And it's a part of our nature. It is something that we crave. It's something that we desire. We, we see this take place in sports to a large degree. Any Dodger fans here? You guys have blue hats. You have, you know, the memorabilia. Any Angel fans? See, Angel fans even want to be a part of the community. That's why they want to be a part of the Los Angeles community, Los Angeles <laughs> Angels of Anaheim, you know? And so you've got these communities you identify with your team, you know, and if you put them together, you might get into a fight. Well, 
the Angel fans won't get in a fight, but the Dodger fans might. <laughs> and we wear our team colors. You know, any Laker fans here? All right. Any Clipper fans? You, you will be alone. Uh, <laughs> you identify with your team and you wear their colors. I remember I went to a Laker game. This was years ago when they were in the finals against Boston. It was at the Fabulous Forum way back then. And I remember being there, and it was the fourth quarter, because you know that's when the game really comes alive, the fourth quarter. And it was back and forth, back and forth. And then it was showtime. And Magic got the ball, and he got a fast break, and it went to, I think, Byron Scott, and then went down to James Worthy, and James Worthy, man, that slam dunk with his arm, boom, you know, and puts it in. And 20,000 people, well, maybe a few hundred less than 20,000, the ones who were wearing green, but otherwise, 20,000 gold jerseys and people shot up, and the place just erupted with a, and I was one of them, and you could feel the energy in the crowd. It was like, yeah, you know, it was a brave heart moment, you know. Up there in the nosebleed sections, we are identifying with our team. It was this sense of community that we had, and it's something that we need. We do it with teams. Kids do it with their friends, sometimes to, to tragic results. I mean, people will do the craziest things just to belong even to belong to a gang. They'll be beat within a breath of their life just so that they can belong to this gang. Why? Because within us is the need for community. See, God saw and said, it is not good that man is alone. And so what God is trying to do within us is develop a community. And, and some of us, it's more difficult than others. Guys, it's a little harder. We usually need something that we need to identify, whether it's sports or work. You kind of get these things, camaraderie in those things. Ladies get community just by going to the bathroom, okay? They just put a sign that says, ladies, and let's go. You know, guys, we don't quite, you know, it'd be a weird thing for us. Hey, Danny, you need to go to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just, it doesn't sit well, but with ladies, it's just something they do, but it's something that we do need. <laughs> and it's something that Jesus actually prayed for. In John seventeen eleven, if you can, turn there. We will get to Romans. John 17, verse 11. Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the great power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays that we would be one, even as he and the Father were one. He is praying that we would have a connection and identity with one another just as he did with God. If you go down a little bit further, verses 20 and 21, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now hear what Jesus is saying. May we have this community with him and with each other that the world would know that you sent me. Our community is an example to the world around us. Jesus said in John 13, 40, 34, and 35, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is how they are going to know that you belong to me is if you care for one another, if you have this love for one another. This was so much the case that someone asked Jesus, Master, what is the greatest commandment? Remember what he said, the greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And I always... He only asked for one, and it's not that Jesus was, you know, numerically challenged, if that's even a word. You can't separate them. Jesus knew that if you were going to have a love for God, it is then going to spread for your love for one another, and that's how people will see that you belong to me by how you treat each other. Your identity with one another. And it's important. It's vital. It's what we were created to be. The name church has been hijacked. And we think of church in the strangest of ways, but not in the way that it originally was intended. See, church was never a building that you go to. It was never an organization. It was never something that you belonged to. The church was supposed to be the tribe of Jesus moving out through all history. Those who followed after Christ were a part of the church. There's a quote I like by Erwin McManus. It says, the church is not here to meet our needs. We are the church here to meet the needs of the world. And you see, we have this mindset of what church is, and it separates us from our responsibility in it. And church becomes something you go to instead of something you are. It becomes something that you expect from instead of something you give into. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, when you gather together, let each of you have a song or tongue or a word of knowledge so that you might be built up. Do we ever think of it? Well, I'm going to go to church. What have I got to give to someone? No, we go with the attitude, hope he sings my favorite song. Hope Sam isn't boring. And the idea of, well, you know, I'm trying to find a church that meets my needs. Where did that come from? 
Where did that shopping mentality come? Did Jesus die so that we could go and, and find a place where our needs could be met? Is that really what this is about? Or is this a place where we can gather together and represent Jesus by loving each other and doing the things that he has for us to do? I know that there are people who have come here and I could tell that they're, quote, church shopping. And I feel this pressure like, oh, man, I better be good. <laughs> and I've given some studies that weren't good. I, I can think of some and I'm like, oh, let that tape be erased. You know, God, that, that just wasn't, I wasn't on my game that day. And the idea of I have to perform and I have to do it right, otherwise you guys are all going to go away. And next week, who's going to show up, you know, and I'll just be me and my wife and my daughter, maybe, you know. Uh. <laughs> but you see, I, I'm not here to meet your needs. We are here to represent Jesus. And as I've said from the beginning, we are not having church, we are the church. And that's why even in our name, Genesis, legally we're Genesis Community Church because it's easier to get your, you know, nonprofit status by saying that. But I just like the term Genesis because people should know we are the church, not because we write it. See, people know I'm a human and I don't have to tell them. I don't go up and say, hi, my name is Sam, the human. Some get me confused, you know. Depending if I had a haircut or shaved, you know. But they automatically know who I am as a human being. Well, I think the same is true with our church. We shouldn't say, we're a church. We should be who we are, and they should see us. Remember, the name Christian was given to the followers of Jesus. They saw them, and they said, they're like Jesus. And so they called them Christians, little Christ. There's one of them. Yeah, he's like Jesus, a little shorter, but he's like him. But somewhere along the line, we started calling ourselves Christians, and the world started calling us hypocrites. Because we wanted to take the title without taking the essence and the identity. And so, what I want Genesis to be is a community of followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, we have it posted up. We are a community of followers of Jesus Christ committed to studying the scriptures so that we may live by faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Be known by love and be a voice of hope to the world. Our mission is to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. We are the church. And it's important that we recognize who we are and what church really means and understand our role in it. Which brings us to Romans chapter 12. Starting at verse 3. 
Paul writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. It's important to realize that as he starts off, there has to be a recognition of our actual condition. Think sober-mindedly. In other words, think clearly. And this almost sounds like he's got information on you. You know how it is when you've got family that, you know, knows the stupid things you've done growing up, and you have a get-together, and then your brother or, you know, your kids, you know, say, remember that time you did this? And you're like, shh, you know, don't, don't tell my most embarrassing moments here to everybody. It's almost like Paul has this information, but he, he says, if we're going to start in this community, arrogance needs to be put aside. Think soberly about yourself and how you see yourself. Think with sober judgments in accordance to the faith God has given you. Verse 4, he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There it is again. Each member belongs to all the others. You see, I don't belong to Genesis. I belong to you. You belong to me if we are the body of Christ. And this illustration of a body, many members, they're there for one another. We are here for one another. And we each have a part to play. It's important to recognize that you are here not just for yourself, but you are here for someone else. That you have something to give to someone else. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a shoulder to cry on. It might be a car to drive them. It could be anything. But are we aware that when we come here, we are here to contribute to the needs because we are here for one another? Verse 6, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. All these different areas, you're supposed to be a part of it in some way. These these are a list of things that you can try and find out, well, which one do I fit in? Am I contributing to the needs of others? Am I supposed to be exhorting people? What is my role? And that's for you to find out. I don't know. Don't don't ask me to tell you your role. Your role is giving. There, there, the bucket's in the back. Go ahead. 
I don't know what your role is. That's between you and your God. But it's here to help the members of his body, the church. And so God has given us all these different areas. And it's something that when they work together, it glorifies him. It represents him. A lot of you who are married know this well with your spouse. Every now and then, my wife will tell me something. She'll say, you know, did you talk to so-and-so? You know, they're going through this and have this circumstance. And I'm like, uh, no, I didn't. You know, and I just kind of feel like, I didn't know about that, honey. Thank you. She has a sensitivity, and bing, all of a sudden, it's like, man, that makes such sense. Why didn't I think of that? Well, she's more sensitive in those areas than I am. And she compliments me in that way. Well, we're to compliment one another in the same way. We're supposed to meet those needs and help each other. But you know what? We, we like to live our separate lives. And we like to come to church, but a lot of us come here to the, this community, but we are still alone. It's like the 405 and the 10 freeway. At 5 o'clock, you've got 11 million people passing by there, but they're all alone in their own cars, in their own world. I think it's the largest intersection of people in the world. And all these people pass by, but they don't have anything to do with one another. And sometimes we can gather here and it be the same way. We're in our own little world, and we don't think about stepping into the world of someone else. Why? Because it's a pain. Because if I talk to them, make myself available to them, then maybe they're going to you know, start asking me to do stuff, and then it's going to get messy, and it's going to be difficult. Well, relationships are messy, and they are difficult. And the church is people. And you see, this, this Genesis would be great if you guys weren't here with all your problems and all your difficulties. <laughs> and it would be great if I wasn't here with all my issues and hang-ups. And you see, once we step into a community, we automatically taint it with ourselves, but that's what we're supposed to do. And And... Our influence is supposed to help each other, to move each other along into a healthier relationship with God. That, that's why we gather together. So that when I'm struggling, when I'm falling, when I'm dealing with something, someone's there to get my eyes in the right perspective, to, to help my frame of thinking, to move me forward so that I don't spiral so I don't fall, or if I do fall, they help me to get up. You guys are familiar with that proverb, how, you know, two are better than one. You always hear it at weddings. You know, if one falls down, the other will pick them up. How can one stay warm alone, but two can stay warm? And it's like, oh, that's the, it's not intended just for weddings. That's intended for people, community. 
It's the idea of we are here to strengthen and help one another. And we need to have this mindset. We need to stop living separate lives and recognize that one of the foundations to living this life of Christ is after we've connected with God is to connect with one another. That the church is God's agent to the world and we are a part of it. He goes on in verse 9 and he says, love Love must be sincere. That's, that's beautiful. Love must be sincere. It must not have ulterior motives. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be there for that person and not for my own benefit because we can taint that so easily. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. He's giving us an example, and he tells us we're to love each other with brotherly love. Now, it's, he brings it to family. He brings it in a place where we can start to identify and understand, well, I know how I feel about my family, about my brother. Well, that's how I'm supposed to feel about you. That's how you're supposed to feel about me. And we all have those people in our family that are difficult. There's, you know, Uncle So-and-so. Don't talk about him. He just got out of jail. And we have to deal with it. He still comes to Thanksgiving, you know. Count the silverware after he leaves, you know. (laughs) But we have to deal with each other as family, as brotherly love. I care for you because you are a part of my family. Remember when they came to Jesus, they said, Jesus, your brothers and your mom are out here waiting. And he says, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? But those who do the will of my father. And he opened the idea of family to be much larger than what we think it is. And think of how you feel about those people in your family. Think about my wife, my children, my nieces, my nephews, my brother, sister-in-law. And there's an endearment. We've spent time together. We know each other, the good and the bad. But we love each other. How is that translating here? How is that happening? We want to make opportunities for you to get to know each other. That's why we we take a couple minutes after that second song so that you can say hello to someone. And I know some of us, it's real uncomfortable. Take a couple minutes and you sit there and like, oh man, this is taking forever. You know, come on, start singing, start singing before someone says hello to me and I have to smile and and fake like I care, you know. And we need to break out of that and we need to understand the reason we offer these things and these opportunities is so that you can care, so that you can involve yourself with the lives of someone else, so that you can show that love as a brother would. He goes on and he says, honor one another above yourselves, verse 10. Again, all these things are are pretty convicting. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. This is what we're supposed to do. 
This is being the church. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, why does he throw that in? Because there's some people here who just get to you. You know that. I mean, let's call it like it is. There's some people who don't have social graces. They're very rough around the edges. And so we need to be patient with them. And if they persecute them, we need to bless them. Not say, that's it, man. They're not part of my family anymore. Out of the will, get out of here. You know, that brother comes to church, I'm turning the other way. You need to be gracious. You need to show that hospitality. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people in of low position. Do not be conceited. This is to be our family. This is to be our attitude. This is our conduct. And this is foundational to living this Christian life. I know we all want just just you and me, God. That's all I need, but that's not all we need. If it's just you and God, then you're of no service. You have the relationship with God so that you can connect to people. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of what church is. It is the tribe of Jesus. We are all a part of that moving forward through history to honor who he is, to glorify him. May people see us and identify us as the church, not because we have a name, but because we care for one another, we love for one another, and this community that cares for each other would be a magnet because there are millions of lonely people who are dying to connect and have this kind of family that don't. And we would not have enough room in this whole facility if we would love like Jesus loved. It would be a magnet to the world around us just by caring don't have to preach. You don't have to do anything but love like Jesus loved and care for one another and people will see it and they'll say, I want that. Why? Because that is like Jesus. And this is a part of our foundation. This is a part of who we are as the church. Let's pray. Father, as I, I once again read these words, I am struck by my own selfishness, by my own pride, about my desire for my own comfort and needs above those of others. And I'm convicted. It, it, it pierces my heart and it, once again reveals to me the areas that I need to yield and surrender, not only to you, but to my brothers and my sisters, to, to this family, to this community that you've brought together. And Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I need to conduct myself? May we be willing 
to take steps into the lives of other people. To not just isolate ourselves and go home and not connect or give to those around us. May we recognize our responsibility in belonging to you. We belong to one another. And Father, may we not just look at our own needs and think what people need to give to us, but may we think of what we need to give to others. And I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see how you have gifted us to contribute to others. Maybe it's in this list that we read where we can encourage, where we can help those in need, where we can exhort or teach. May we show hospitality. May we understand the difference between going to church and being the church and help us to be just that. We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.